Yo, you are listening to Dope Excerpts. My name is Adam R. Garcia. Dope Excerpts is a podcast where I read to you things that I find particularly insightful, inspiring, or informative from uh, what I find around my apartment and stuff that I'm always kind of pulling in. Today, I'm going to read an article by Andre Dow, who is the deputy editor of one of my favorite magazines, New Philosopher. He's a writer of fiction and nonfiction, and his work has appeared in The Monthly, Al Jazeera English, and SBS True Stories. He's also formerly the editor-in-chief of Right Now. Uh, Dow was a finalist for the Australian Human Rights Commission's Young People's Medal in 2011. And this... The people that once bestowed commands, consulships, legions, and all else, now meddles no more and longs eagerly for just two things, bread and circuses, juvenile. For nearly 500 years, the citizens of Rome elected their leaders. Structurally, Roman democracy was actually more patrician than populist. Many of the highest elected offices were reserved for those from the aristocracy who purported to trace their ancestry back to the founding of Rome itself. But in practice, the plebeians, the ordinary citizens held, at least collectively, decisive power over the Roman Republic, especially at important historical moments. The power of the plebes was never more apparent than when they refused to fight for the patricians. After all, what was the Republic without its legions? By the time Juvenal penned his satires around 100 CE, Julius Caesar had long crossed the Rubicon with his army, and the power of the plebeians, along with the Republic, was no more. In its place was the Roman Empire, and rather than power, the people had panem et circensis, bread and circuses. No doubt the circus Juvenal had in mind was the Colosseum, which had been completed only 20 years before he wrote satires. It's one of the most enduring images of Rome, the largest amphitheater ever constructed filled with tens of thousands of toga-wearing, bloodthirsty Roman citizens, while down on the sand, gladiators, slaves, and exotic animals fought to the death for the entertainment of the citizenry. But such spectacles were not mere entertainment. Their greater significance is encapsulated by one of the primary performances of the Colosseum, the reenactment of famous battles from Rome's past. Such reenactments were intended to remind the audience of the glory of the empire, and therefore the glory of being a Roman citizen. Indeed, the Roman Empire of this era incorporated most of their known world. As Virgil wrote, Rome was an imperium without end. If gladiatorial reenactments of conquests were a reminder of Rome's glory, then the real thing was essential to establishing and consolidating an emperor's power. Just how essential can be seen in the res geste of the Empire Augustus, a funerary inscription that essentially reads as a lengthy list of the money the emperor spent on his citizens, 600 million silver denarii in all, on roads, land, and grain, literally bread, but most of all on military conquests that brought glory to the empire and its citizens. And it was those victories in modern Spain, Switzerland, Northern Africa, and the Middle East that were relived in the Colosseum as entertainment. It would be nice to think that in our modern democracies, such spectacles would no longer be necessary. If the bread and circuses of juvenile's time were meant to compensate the people for their loss of power, then we, the enfranchised voters, are in no need of compensation, right? But then how do we explain the seemingly endless amount of money and time spent on mega events like the Olympic Games and the Football World Cup? 
The latest estimates are the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro cost at least $13.1 billion to host, which looks like a bargain next to the reported $220 billion that Qatar is set to spend hosting the 2022 World Cup. Even more disturbing is the human cost. Human Rights Watch notes that hundreds of migrant workers are dying every year in Qatar due to poor working conditions and extreme heat. The exorbitant cost of these extravaganzas is not the only parallel with ancient Rome. Like gladiatorial reenactments of famous battles, sporting events are opportunities for collective and reflected glory. So much is evident from two commonplace habits of newspaper editors the feverish tallying of gold medals and the opportunistic addition of the possessive our to newly minted winners. A quick scan of media, mainstream and social, during a mega event also reveals another serious consequence of our sporting obsession. It takes up nearly all the oxygen. Front pages that might otherwise be devoted to matters of state are instead taken up with last night's game, and where politicians, let alone writers or philosophers, know that getting elusive media cut through depends on saying something controversial in a five-second grab, sports people are regularly given precious minutes of airtime to say that they're taking it all, one game at a time. This, of course, is the point. We have limited attention to give and the glories of sporting entertainment promise much swifter satisfaction for the price of our attention than the mechanics of political power. There is, however, an altogether more modern and potentially more worrying way of understanding bread and circuses, and that is to see politics itself as the biggest circus in town. That seems like a contradiction. How can politics distract from itself? Until we make a distinction between politics as it is portrayed on cable news channels, an endless game of intrigue and personality populated by pantomime heroes and villains, and politics as a philosopher understands it, which is ultimately a concern about the proper allocation of a society's resources and powers. A concern about, in a word, justice. Nowhere is politics as entertainment more pronounced than in the fixation with polling data, the minute calculation of paths to victory, of swings needed to win key seats. This is politics reduced to a game with accompanying odds. Bookmakers will happily take bets not only in the outcome of elections, but on the longevity of party leaders or the configuration of a cabinet reshuffle. A game that serves to distract from politics as justice and the ideas that are supposed to underpin the contest for power. A curious corollary to the hollowing out of politics is that sporting events are very often the arena for ideas about justice whether that be equal payment for women or fighting racism and homophobia. Given a lack of space for ideas in politics as entertainment and the huge amount of attention we pay to sports, in a way this makes sense. But as long as we fail to provide room for ideas about justice in politics, political statements in sporting contexts will be a bit like Macbeth's assessment of life, a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. As techno-sociologist Zeynep Tufekci has said, attention is the key resource for politics, and whoever controls our attention will control the 21st century. Tufekci was speaking in the context of the social media and search engine companies' ability to divert our attention in ways that bring them the most profit from advertisers. But Tufekci's point about the importance of attention has wider implications. Attention is a limited resource, but it is also the key of our plebeian power, 
Our hard-won de democratic rights are only useful in the aggregate, which means that to effect meaningful change, we need to collectively pay attention to the same things for a sustained period of time. Unfortunately, sustained attention on sporting events, no matter how glorious or entertaining, takes our attention away from questions of politics and justice. Even when those sporting events are used to amplify voices of protest, they can only ever be signposts of our real destination. At some point, we have to fix our attention beyond the circus to the power and politics beneath. That was an article called Bread and Circuses from New Philosopher Magazine's Summer 2018 edition. I highly suggest you check out New Philosopher. Every single issue is on a different subject, bringing in a number of people, authors, philosophers, etc., expounding on the subject. It's, uh, it's a great platform. Also check out the website. Um, I really love that article, not only about sports, I understand why people like things like the Olympics and football games. I used to work at Nike, so I understand the idea of fandom and why it's important and why things like, uh, you know, allegiance and locality and that kind of tribalism is something that people find resonance with. That totally makes sense to me. I mean, we're human after all. I think the idea of choosing where we give our attention to and what we're distracted from is what's really, really important and how to just be more, be more present and aware in those things in the world and deconstructing those large events and understanding what those things all really mean. That's kind of the point of life, right? And I think that's also the point of the article. What at the end of the day is really pushing us forward as a species, as a group and as a community and how do we choose to give those things our attention? You've been listening to Dope Excerpts. I appreciate it if you've been listening along through the episodes. And if you haven't, and this is your first one, it's all good too. I just appreciate it. Uh, hit me up at Instagram and Twitter at Adam R. Garcia or find me at anchor.fm slash Adam R. Garcia. This podcast is on all the podcast platforms, Pocket Casts and iTunes and Spotify. Let me know what you think. I love feedback. I want to make this better. I want to make it something that you enjoy. So, uh, so holler at me. In the meanwhile, Thanks for listening.